Good morning to you all. It's a privilege to be here with you and to share God's Word and to see what God is saying to all of us. And uh, everything He says is always important to us, and so we want to be sure that we understand what those are and that uh, we um, obey His Word as well. As we go about our daily life, God brings across different experiences, right? That's true. Some of these experiences are very pleasurable and others are less pleasurable. And so when I think back of the experiences I've had with God, and I'm sure you can too, uh, we find that some ex- uh, experiences are very challenging. They're very challenging. And the reason they're challenging to us and, and is because, you know, as devoted disciples of Christ, we want to be used of God, don't we? We all want to be used of God in some way. And so, but we're always not sure how we, we, be, we will be used, and we don't know how we're going to respond and react when God chooses us to, uh, to uh, go through something for him. And so, let me give you an example to, for that. Um, I was at work, I showed up uh, at my pharmacy job, and I was ready to go. I had my white smock on, and I had my computers warmed up, and, you know, and I, my fingers were nimble, and I was ready to go. And I looked over, and there was one of my coworkers, and and uh, she was uh, just sort of red-eyed and kind of concerned, and she didn't look well at all. And normally, Margaret is a very upbeat person, so I walked over to her. The store hadn't opened yet, and I, I just said, uh, "Margaret, is everything okay?" And then she kind of looked at me, and she gave me one of these long sighs. And then I said, "It's okay. Go ahead. If it would help, just share it with me." And so she began to say how. Uh, she had a son, and, and uh, he, he has a drug problem. And so they had just uh, gone through a, one of the bouts with him, and she was up all night with him, and so on and so forth. And she just says, I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. And and so <laughs> what was I going to do? You know, was I going to tell her, well, I'll, uh, go to the ladies' room, get ready to work or something like that, or what would I do? And so in the end, what I did do, though, is I did tell her, I said, look, why, why don't you just go ahead and go home today. You, you look really washed out. And that was the best I could do, okay? That was the best I could do at that moment. And so uh, how are you going to respond to something like that? How are you going to react to something like that? You know, and say, well, my life is tough too, you know? You want to hear about my life? You know, and, you know what, are you, what are we going to do with this when God puts it in front of us, you see? And so this is why I think it's so important for us to know uh, what to do in cases like this. And so uh, Daniel was no stranger for people coming to him with their issues and with their problems. And so what did he do? And so if you look back again in, in our study of Daniel, I'll turn to Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2. Now, we're not going to be able to read every verse. There's, one, there's 49 verses, so it's impossible to get through all of them. So I'll just sort of summarize verses and then highlight certain parts of the verses for you. Now, we have to, for those of us who may be joining us for the first time, uh, get, uh, please understand that uh, the book of Daniel is a fantastic book, and uh, Daniel is, is really, truly a servant of the Lord, and we have so much to learn from him. But what do we know about him? Well, first of all, when he entered into this these series of experiences, he was his teenager. He was a teenager. He was, you know, kidnapped, basically, at the age of 15, and then shipped off to Babylon torn away from his family, and was being prepared to serve the king of Babylon. And uh, yet, it says in chapter 1, verse 8, as we learned last week, he was resolved in his heart to follow God and not to serve the God of his conquerors. Now, that's an amazing thing. 
that he was only a teenager. And I, I think it speaks volumes to those of us who, who are on the younger side, all right, is that you can do it as well. As, and, and so this becomes an important fact. He was resolved. This kind of re- deep resolve can probably best described as the lordship of God. In his young mind, in his young heart, he was determined to make the, uh, God his lord over his life. And this became a hallmark for his life all through all the 85 years that he served the different kings and different empires that came through. God was his Lord. Daniel was firmly committed to the truth that he belonged to God and he would stand for God. And so, as we discovered last week, his resolve would be tested. Whenever you have a resolve, whenever you have a commitment in your heart to the lordship of God, it will be tested. All right? It's not a a casual kind of commitment. It's not one that you sort of pick up and lay down. But it's one that you carry with you 24-7. And so it was tested. It was tested because the Babylonian Empire was trying to overwhelm them and immerse them and get them to convert to their values, priorities, and culture and religion. And so he really had some tremendous um, challenges ahead. I suppose it would be accurate to say that Daniel was in the empire, but not of the empire. He was in the empire, but not of the empire. He didn't buy in. He didn't buy in, he didn't adapt, he didn't embrace all of the things that the Babylonians wanted him to because he knew that some of those things were not of God. His life stands out as a beacon to all of us who seek to be devoted disciples of Christ in pretty much a Christless world. You see, Daniel is just as relevant today as it was back then when it was recorded for us. The problems haven't changed. The system is still trying to get us to buy in and embrace it. And so Daniel shows us the way how not to be uh, taken in by all that. So Daniel chapter 2, and then starting with verse 1 on through 16, we find Daniel's problem, Daniel's problem. And so let me again summarize in in verses uh, 1 through 11. If you're a fast reader, you can read it as the scriptures appear. But you see King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He was the king of Babylon. And so as he lay there at night, one maybe several nights, he had these dreams come to him. They're very disturbing. They were very disturbing. In verse 1, it says, and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Uh, he just couldn't get it together. He just couldn't get any peace and couldn't get any rest. So like any good king, in verses 2 to 3, what he does is he calls his advisors together and he says, Tell me what's going on so I can get some sleep here. And then he makes an unusual demand because he looks at his advisors and he says, I'm, I want you to tell me what the dream was and then interpret it for me. Tell me what the dream was and tell me what is its meaning. Okay? Now, that's very unusual, right? And rightly so. So the... Um, Uh, He says, if you can do these two things, in verse 6, he says, you will have great rewards. You will have great rewards. As a king, he could do that, all right? And so that was the king's dream. Then you you see that the dream turns into the king's fury in verses 7 through 13. The the wise men, the, the, the counselors, the advisors to the king weren't, you know, they weren't 
dumb people. And so they did the natural thing in verse 7. And what did they do in verse 7? They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare its interpretation. Logical? You're right. He said, you tell us what the dream is, and then we'll tell you what it means. All right? And so, but the king responds in great anger. And in verse 8, he says, you guys are just trying to buy time. You guys don't know what's going on. You're trying to buy time. He tells, in fact, in verse 9, he says, you're conspiring together. You're trying to get your act together. You're trying to be able to, to give me some kind of, you know, story that will just sort of please me, as it were. The answer, of the, the, the answer to the king, again, was in verse 10 to 11. And these advisors said, look, what you're asking for is not humanly possible. Look at verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. Inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Verse 11, moreover, the things which the king demands is difficult. There is no one else who could declare it to the king except God's whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Basically, they were saying to the king, no way, Jose, this is going to happen. All right. It's not possible. And so to react to this, the king then turns around and says, "Okay, I'm getting rid of all of you. He's indignant. I've had it with you guys. I'm going to get, why keep you around? Why keep feeding you and, and, and housing you and dressing you? Why not just get rid of y'all? I'll get rid of the whole batch. And he puts out an order to have all the wise men destroyed in verses 12 through 13. Now, this comes then the king's hope. And this is found in verses 14 through 16. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch the captain of the king's bodyguard who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Or it could be word harsh. No, why, why these heavy, heavy measures? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation of the king. This was Daniel's, this was the king's hope. This was his chance to really get what he wanted and to find out what it all meant. But I want to point out to you, notice here that in verse 14, he acted with discretion and discernment. Okay? He responded with that and then he got the facts. For what reason is the decree from the king so harsh? And then in Acts chapter 5, I mean, uh, in uh, verse 16, Daniel says he requested of the give him some time. Now, how did he act in a discerning way? Okay, how did he do it? Literally, that phrase, when he asked the king in verse uh, 16, in uh, verse 2, when he, uh, chapter 2, when he said that, he was actually give him time. It actually literally is translated appoint a time for him. So what he did was he went to the king and he says, look, look, you set the timetable. You give me the deadline that you think is right. OK, Daniel is a master at helping people. And so what he did was he said, you set the timeline. When do you think your answer needs to come? Don't don't I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm not trying to escape anything. 
Just please tell me what, when you need the answer. And so the king set the deadline for him. Now, what kind of less life lessons can we learn from this? God puts people and their problems in our paths. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar's problem became Daniel's problem. Why? The, 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 the oftentimes our first reaction when people come to us with problems, right, is why this? Why so complicated? How am I supposed to tell the king what his dream is? You know, we sit there and we we just keep analyzing this thing and basically we feel put upon. We feel that this is unfair. This is beyond our pay grade, all right? I didn't sign on for this, all right? And so we have all of these reasons we come to, to, to push away people. And then maybe perhaps the question, why me? Don't you know I'm busy? Can't you see all these papers I have to sign and go over, all these reports I have to go over? Why are you doing this to me, oh God, right now? You see, in God's sovereignty, he brings people with their problems across our paths. That's what he does, all right? And so as much as you and I might like to deny it, we might like to avoid it, (laughs) we like to get (laughs) run away from it, we can't. Because God will bring people with their problems across our paths. All right? And then the second life lesson is God wants us to respond with discretion and discernment. Okay? Keep in mind who is involved here. Daniel was talking to the king. All right? He was talking to the king. This was a matter of national Security, if you will. This is something that was really important. And so keep this in mind. Sometimes the problems that people bring to us, people say, I got this problem. It may not be that big a problem to us, but it's always a problem for them. You see, it is of utmost important. Otherwise, why would they bring it? You see? And so what happens? Keep in mind who is involved. And then keep in mind what you need to know. Stay calm. Get the facts before you act. Can you remember that one? Get the facts before you act. That's what Daniel did. Tell me, what is, why is the king's decision so, uh, so urgent? Why is, it so, why is his measures that he's taking so harsh? You see, oftentimes, what do we depend upon? We depend upon rumor. We depend upon gossip. We depend, we depend upon innuendo. All of these kinds of things. And our facts are totally messed up. You see? And so we have to sit down with people and find out as much as we can about the problem. The better we understand the problem, the more we can help with the problem. Keep in mind, where do I go from here? At some point, after all the listening, you have to make up your mind and say to yourself, am I in or am I out? I've got, What am, am I going to help or am I just going to brush them off, or put them away. What am I going to do? We have to be mindful of these three things. That's how God wants us to respond. And Daniel did all of these things. Daniel did all of these things, as we will see, especially the last part. When people bring their problems, remember God is sovereign. Stay calm and respond wisely. Stay calm and respond wisely. What did Daniel do? What did Daniel do? Now, Daniel entered into a time of prayer, verses 17 through 45. And Daniel's prayer is recorded for us in several different stages. 
The first part is the actual prayer or petition in verses 17 through 18. Notice here that in verse 17, he went to his friends. These are the ones, the cohort that came in with him to uh, in captivity to Babylon, and he went to them to garner support and to pray together. And then look at verses 18 uh, and see what they asked for. So that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, I want you to notice here, the prayer was not for Nebuchadnezzar. It was not King Nebuchadnezzar, Lord, work in Nebuchadnezzar's mind so he would change his mind, that he would relent. Maybe he would give more time, that he would rescind the order completely. Not that wasn't what they prayed for. What they prayed for was compassion from God to help them understand what was going on and to solve the mystery. And that they would be saved from the, from the destruction that had been ordered. What is this an indication of? What this is an indication that they wanted to help and were asking God for help so they could help, you see? And so right here, in, in, in a very stark way, God was using Daniel, working in their life in such a way that they could help Nebuchadnezzar. They didn't avoid Nebuchadnezzar. They were not in awe of the penalty if they failed, all right? Can you imagine failing the king? Of Babylon, can you think of all the ugly and ways that he could really make you suffer for not obeying him and delivering what you promised? Can you imagine? But you never saw that here. What you saw was a humble servant of God going before God and said, Oh Lord, have compassion upon us so that we can solve this mystery, that we will not suffer the fate that has been promised. Okay, that's all they prayed for. That's all they prayed for. An amazing prayer, short, to the point, and yet very powerful. Now, this prayer begins to evolve, and it evolves into praise in verses 19 to 45. Praise for what? Okay, look at verse 19. It says in verse 19, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in the night vision. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. What happened was Daniel went to sleep. Amazing that he could sleep, right? Could you sleep with this kind of thing on your head? Daniel was able to sleep. And in his sleep, God revealed to him the mystery. He revealed Nebuchadnezzar's dream to him. All right? And so what happened is, and then this resulted in adoration and exaltation in verses 20 to 23. Look at those statements. For wisdom and power belong to him. Verse 23, to you, O God, our Father, I give thanks and praise. You see, all of this began to evolve. God began to answer the prayer. God went to work. And he began to see this thing happening right before our very eyes. And then in verses 24 to 25, there was resolution. There was resolution. Daniel was ready to go before the king. Look at verse 24. Therefore, Daniel went into Ariok, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Wow. Well, now, is that good news or what? 
And so uh, Daniel starts off then in verse 24 on through 28, and he introduces the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. All right. Uh, and he says, there, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and it made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days, he says. Okay, and this was in verse 28. He says, I can't do it, but I have God in heaven who can do it. And he says, he begins to whet his appetite. Then he goes on in verses 29 through 35 to give out the detailed dream. Now, I'll summarize the dream for you. The dream was of a statue, and the statue had various parts of it that were in different metals, more precious than the next. And so there was gold, silver, bronze, iron, clay, and then iron and clay, and then a stone. All right? That was the dream. So Nebuchadnezzar hears this. He says, that's exactly right. Now, as you're reading those verses, I'm sure you are saying to yourself, all right, big deal. Why all the detail? Because, because only Nebuchadnezzar would know these details. And guess what? When Daniel recounts the dream, every detail is there. He didn't leave anything out. You see? You understand? So there's no way Nebuchadnezzar could say, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. Off with your head. He couldn't do that to him. So that's why there's so much detail in there. And Daniel was very careful to record every single detail to the king. So only Nebuchadnezzar would know, this guy got it right. He's not pulling the wool over my eyes. He's not trying to do an end run on me. This fellow really knows what I dreamt. And then in verses 30 to 36 to 45, Daniel gives him the interpretation. Each of the Metals, uh, the parts of the of the statue that was in a different metal, represented great empires that would come. And it started with Babylon. This was gold, followed by Medo-Persia, which was followed by silver. And then Greek was bronze. Rome was iron. And then a, Ro- a revived Roman Empire would come later. And this was with the feet of, and toes of iron and clay. But all of this would finally be crushed by the divine kingdom uh, that would come when Christ comes to rule on the earth. Now, let me summarize this with a slide that shows you again. The kingdoms. The next one. Okay. Gold was Babylon. Next, silver, Medo-Persia. Next, bronze was Greece. Next, iron was Rome. Iron and clay, that's the revised Roman Empire. And then the last one, stone, when Christ comes to rule. All right? And so what happened here was that God was revealing to Nebuchadnezzar. He was laying out how the history of mankind would be unfolded. That's what he was doing. Wow. If I was Nebuchadnezzar, I'd be really impressed. I'd be really impressed. I would say, I'd be a little bit unhappy because he said that my empire is going to be replaced by the Medo-Persians. But that's the way things go. And so, but he, Daniel revealed to him faithfully the interpretation. All of these come together. They're strung together like a string of priceless pearls. They're strung together like that. And so it behooves us to sit here and go over this prayer one more time. It should not go unnoticed 
that prayer connects us to Almighty God, the one who sovereignly uh, does more than we ever can and who cares and wants to help more than we ever can. This sometimes goes beyond us. This sometimes goes beyond us. Why? For example, sometimes a quick way for us to dismiss people who come to us with the problem, I'll pray for you. Let's just pray and God will work. We use the word just. Just pray. Just pray. Just conveys a different thought. It comes like, well, we don't really have much we can do, so we just pray. But it connects us to Almighty God. And that's what Daniel knew. That's why he said back there in verse 28, There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar that which will take place in the latter days. You see? Do we really have that kind of idea about prayer? Is prayer just something we do? Or is it the thing that we ought to do? It connects us with Almighty God. Prayer also highlights God's attributes. In prayer, we are ushered into the very presence of God, the one who gives us what we so desperately need in complex situations and conditions. God is the one who can give us those things that we need. It is the key to humanly impossible situations and conditions. You see, when I was talking with Margaret in my, in my pharmacy and when she was all broken up, I was really praying to God, God, what should I do next? How should I help her with this thing? I didn't tell you the rest of the story. The rest of the story is that we actually had a meal together in which she gave us much more horrible details of her life with her son. And so we really sat down and we were able to talk with her and help her to a point and give her some comfort and some strength. You see? And so this was all preceded by prayer. This was all preceded by prayer. In those times of prayer, I realized how much God had and could give me that I could not get any other way. When God leads people to bring their problems to us, pray to God who can do what no other can possibly do. Well, that brings us to the last point. That's Daniel's point. Verse 46 to 49. There is an amazing admission By King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 46, please. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. This was his response. And then if you look at verse 47, I mean, down through 47, and it's an amazing kind of admission because a king bowing down and worshiping a captive, that is impossible. That is unheard of, the king bowing down to him. What do you think the people in King Nebuchadnezzar's court felt at this time? Did they lose face or what? You see, our king bowing down to a captive and according him all of this. And no less admitting that his God was more powerful than the gods of Babylon. 
Amazing. That is truly amazing. And so when you think of this, think of Nebuchadnezzar's admission. And then it is followed by Nebuchadnezzar's promotion of Daniel and his friends in verse 48. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect. Uh, over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made requests of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while king, while Daniel was at the king's court. Now, I thought to myself, wouldn't it have been a great way to end the story if verses 48 through 49 were put before verse 47, 46 to 47? Wouldn't that be a great way to end the story? Nebuchadnezzar promotes Daniel. Happy ending, right? Everybody's cool. But God put the admission in there for a very important reason. What's the point? The point was God brings people with their problems so that they can be pointed to God. That's the lesson. The point of God bringing people with problems into our lives is so that we can point them to God. And so it's not to point to us. It's not to, uh, to expose people to our cleverness, intellect, or wisdom, but to God. We often crave for things to work out so that we can get the credit and the attention, and that, but it should really go to God. Now, please remember this. For the devoted disciple of Christ, praise and promotion are nice to have, but not a must-have, must-to-have. And so there takes a different change in our mentality, okay? There takes a different change in our mentality. Is that the promotion and credits and all of that kind of stuff is nice. But that's not the point. The point is God glorified. Our people pointed to God. And then the second lesson, one of the greatest ways for people to find God is by bringing their complex problems to believers who already know God important this is important why do you think god left you and me still here on the earth wouldn't it be just nicer if after we're saved he just takes us all to heaven life would be so much easier right just running around heaven in a chariot and 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 singing you know praise the, the hallelujah to the lord all the time you know glory to be to god but god puts us here on the face of the earth he puts us where we are in our schools in our workplaces in our neighborhoods in our families, and so on and so forth. Why? So that we can help point people to God. You see? That we can point people to God. So believers are to be ready and willing to receive, listen, understand, pray, and journey through life with others as God reveals and leads. People where we work, people where we play, people where we learn and live and have multitudes of problems, have multitudes of problems, and their problems are living, breathing opportunities to point a person to God. GBC can glorify God by being true to its mission to make devoted disciples. That's true. And these are people who truly care about people and are willing to trust God for the answers to their problems. That's what building devoted disciples is, okay? And that involves knowing the word of God. That involves obeying the word of God, so on and so forth. But they need someone to come alongside us to help them do this. All right? Now, not so that I won't be misunderstood here. Let me point up this comment. I put it on the slide on purpose. A new building, pastoral staff, and ministries will help. 
But in the end, it comes down to devoted disciples reaching out to those whom God brings into their lives who will make the difference. Okay? And so, do I want a building? Do I think God wants us to have a building? I think he wants us to have a building. He gave us this one for now, right? He might be giving us another one in the very near future. But in the end point, it's not the building, folks. It's the people inside the building. What are we doing, you see? That's the difference. The love of the people for God is more important than the building. The love of the people for one another is more important than the building. The love and good deeds directed at people inside and outside the building are more important than the building. You got it? And so we have to get ourselves right in order to do right. Okay? And so in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 39, it says... And he said to them, you shall, he was challenged, he was asked, what, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. Wow. God takes this very seriously, doesn't it? You bet he does. In John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. You see? And so, God is very concerned about how we receive and how we react to people who come to us with problems. If we just push them away, if we resist them, if we go about and we just say, I have no time for you. Then we've disobeyed the Lord. Okay, we've disobeyed the Lord. Now, at this time, there's going to be some people out here who say, look, my plate is full. My plate is full. Here's a suggestion for you. Check what's on your plate. (laughs) Check what's on your plate. Are all those things really necessary? Are they really all that important? Right? Check what's on your plate. Figure out what's important and what's not important. In fact, involve God in the process and ask him what's important. And you'll be surprised what he takes off your plate. Okay? When you have room on your plate, then you can take other things on. And hopefully those things will be the things that are more important. Like some of these people who have problems. Oh, but you say to yourself, you know, okay, you, you kind of helped me with the problem of not having enough time. But suppose I have too many problems of my own. Suppose I have too many problems of my own. Okay. Look, there's never too many problems. There's never too many problems. There's endless problems, yes, but there's, no, there's no, never too many problems. At some point in your life, you have to decide, am I just living for myself or I'm living for God? Okay. You got to make up your mind. Okay. Yes, I have problems. I have plenty of problems. Do I have room in my heart to take on your problems? Yes. Why? Because I made up a long time ago in my mind that I'm here on the face of this earth to help people as much as I can. All right. Do I have problems? Oh, sure. And I'm working on them. Each and every one of them. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. I have lots of problems and I'm working on them. Okay. But the point is, the point is, I don't let them hold me back from helping others. You may have to say to some people, wow, wow, your problem is really huge. This one is way beyond 
anything I have any experience with. And you might say, but I know somebody else who can help. Maybe our pastors. Maybe our elders. Maybe, and you have a whole list of people. Okay? Or maybe you can enlist the help of other people in your care group. Maybe you can enlist other people in the church that you know who are wise in every possible way. And they can come alongside you and help you with them. You see, there are endless possibilities. But you see, go back. Look at what's on your plate. And let, work with God and let him decide and help you decide what needs to come off the plate so that you have enough room for something else, like people with problems. And then begin to minister to them as best you can, as best you can in a very wise way. People's problems become opportunities to introduce God to people. Be prayerful and faithful to that end. That's what God is teaching us through Daniel. Daniel was sure to take on Nebuchadnezzar's promise. It wasn't too big. Why? Because he had a God who could handle this. And that's how we need to be. We need to be the people of God. We need to be the people of God. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, as we think of these things that you have put before us, we are truly humbled and amazed, awed for sure that you would even consider us as instruments who could possibly help others. Father, we pray that you would put and remove from our heart this perhaps over-attention to our own problems. There are problems in our lives that we've let stay for years and years and years. And Father, because of those problems, we have not been able to make room for people who need our help. So Lord, we pray that you would change our heart, that you would change our mind, that Father, we would be open to the opportunities that you give to us with people. People need the Lord. We need to understand that. And one of the best ways to point them to the Lord is to help them with their problems. And Father, we thank you again for using us in this way as you choose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.